Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this show, we're going to rock your world by helping you discover and understand your fear type and how to master it, with a big point here being that you have fear. We all have fear. Until now, I think we've tried to label ourselves and others as fearful or not, when the research now shows fear has multiple archetypes and we all fit into some set of it. Someone with no fear is mentally ill. I mean, you could find out what types of fear you have, which are most predominant, and how to manage them because you can't eradicate them. Not really. Rather, you manage them and do it scared. This is the title of our guest, Ruth Sukup's new book, Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Obstacles, and Create a Life You Love. So Ruth dealt with debilitating fear that landed her in severe depression and into psychiatric hospitals. So she is an expert in the results of unharnessed fear. But from this critical personal experience, Ruth made fear her muse, and she really did deep. So this resulted in her hiring teams of researchers, literally to uncover the truth about and the breadth of fear. So the results have led to her. She has a blog with over a million subscribers, multiple best-selling books, and a top-ranked podcast. And what she discovered, there are seven fear archetypes, which include the procrastinator, the rule follower, the people pleaser, the outcast, the self-doubter, the excuse maker, and the pessimist. And while these fear archetypes themselves are incredibly fascinating, she explains that it's actually how we use them that makes all the difference. She says fear is a little bit different for everyone, but once you can identify the unique way that fear is holding you back, you can also create solutions to overcome that unique fear. So I did, I took Ruth's groundbreaking fear assessment and it just blew me away. Literally folks, I haven't had such a revelation about my personal makeup that I was unaware of since Honestly, I can't remember. And I now had all my family members over the age of 16, at least, and my wife take the fear assessment, not only so they can hone in on their fear type, but I can know what they're dealing with and better understand them. And for everyone, it was just significant revelation. The whole family is blown away. And now we're all just talking about it together. And again, I cannot recommend this enough folks. And I'll give you a gift. Actually, it's from Ruth, but you go to do it slash assessment and take your own assessment. It is just profound. Again, can't recommend it more. 30,000 people have completed it already. So we're going to dig in with Ruth. This is a big deal talk. And friends, hey, I urge you to visit Ziggler.com. We have some amazing events coming up live at Ziggler headquarters and online. And you can just connect with the Ziggler family and team to help figure out what resource would serve you best. Again, Ziggler.com. You can inspire and equip your true performance. All right, Ruth, right off the bat, I want to lead off with what you led off with in the book. Fear is meant to protect us. Not having it would actually be a sign of mental illness. We're supposed to be scared. I love that. My first thought was, I bet you don't have a whole lot of those no fear t-shirts hanging around, huh? <laughs> no, I don't think that. I don't think that we can ever fully get rid of fear because yeah. I think that it comes in all different forms. It's such a shape shifter and it's constantly reemerging. And as you know, the fear that I talk about in the book is really this fear that holds us, holds us back from going after our goals and dreams. And that is 
that is the fear that's not okay, but there is lots of fear in our life that is there to protect us. So it's always about walking that balance and figuring out where is fear serving me and where is it holding me back? Well, that literally has been a, a tongue in cheek joke for me, the no fear t-shirts and stuff, because I mean, I come from a professional athlete background and that kind of stuff, you know, is just high and mighty. And yet, as I've gone on in life, I thought that that's, that's ridiculous. I, I'm not that guy. I, I think I'm fearful of a lot. Well, I thought I was fearful of some stuff. Now that I read your book, I think I'm fearful of more, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was such a big soapbox. I got people get to feeling like I have to overcome X, Y, Z to go on and your aspect of no, go do it, do it scared. I love that premise, but the way that you have come in and addressed it and dissected it is brilliant. Well, and that's what we're going to get into here. So I did want to start off with on that same note, actually, that I appreciate that you don't come into this as somebody, you know, who steer, uh, stared fear in the face, you know, and, and beat it down and miss miss Olympia that you suffered in a significant way. And you write about that in the book, debilitating depression, multiple suicide attempts and psychiatric hospitals, the whole bit. And you write that you slowly fought your way back. And my first thought was, I, I want to hear a little bit about that because at that point, as you're fighting your way, way back, that was before this message, right? That was before this oh, research. Oh yeah, way before, way before. How, yeah. What's the catalyst? Because a lot of people in your in your in that aspect never fight their way back. They never found light at the end of the tunnel. What was what helped you do that? It's true, and actually, that's probably the biggest reason why I feel so. Um, passionate about telling my story now and sharing that part of my story, because it would be very easy for me now that I've, you know, built this successful business. It was 20 years ago. Why would I ever talk about that? It, it would be easy for me to just kind of let that go in the past and not have that be part of my story. Yeah. But I feel like when I was in that part of my life and in that darkness and in that depression, the thing that I never saw, especially because I was in and out of psychiatric hospitals, as you said, I, I had five suicide attempts, the worst of which uh, almost killed me. I was, had 10% chance of waking up. I was in a coma on life support and almost died. And the, my heart actually stopped in the ambulance and was resuscitated and all of those things. And the doctors said, she's not going to make it. They told my family to come and say goodbye. And, but through all of that, I never saw anybody get better. You, you feel like when you're in that place of darkness, that it's this revolving door of, depression and darkness and sadness and, and things that feel completely hopeless. And I used to say that to my doctors, how can you tell me I'm going to, going to get better? How can you tell me to have hope? Because I don't see anybody get better. And so now I get to, now I get to be that person. And, but that doesn't, that's not to say that it was an easy journey. Cause it certainly was not, I, you know, I was tw 24 years old af um, after my last suicide attempt, I'd been treat, treatment resistant depression is what they called it. They tried every medication out there, um, until finally they gave up on medication and, and went to electroshock therapy, which people don't even know that they do wow. anymore. Um, and that was sort of the last resort. And then finally they just said, you know what, there's, there's nothing else we can do. So they, and they sent me, they, released me and said, basically like, we don't know how to help you anymore. I mean, and that when the doctors in a psychiatric hospital are telling you it's hopeless, you feel Goodness. like it is hopeless. I was, I was, that was my rock bottom of just not knowing what to do and how to build back, like go back from that. How do you face your life at 24 years old, knowing that I had 
gotten divorced. I'd filed for bankruptcy at that point. I had dropped out of college. I had no job, no degree, no friends left. My family was so over it also because depressed people are really hard to be around. And so the only place I could go was to my dad's house. And I don't know that he totally wanted me there because it was, again, I was not the easiest person to be around, but he also was my dad and he couldn't turn me away. And, um, I laid in bed for months just not doing anything. And now that I'm a parent, I look back on that time and go, Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine seeing your child in that much pain and not knowing what to do and how to help. And finally, finally he convinced me to start going to the gym. And he said, please just do this one thing for me. Just go to the gym three times a week and walk on the treadmill and for half an hour, three times a week. And literally I would go and I would do that thing. And then I would go back to bed, but there was something in that process of literally taking one step at a time and putting one foot in front of the other that gave me just enough spark of something hope i guess to go maybe something could be different and so after a couple of months of that i called a therapist a new therapist at that point and said look i've just spent the last two and a half years talking about every bad thing that's ever happened to me i've been in every hospital in the country i've tried everything it hasn't worked I just need to know now how to live and how to have my life back. And that was the point where that's what she helped me do. And we didn't talk about any, anything at that point, besides how do you go to the grocery store and not have a panic attack? And then it was from there, it was, how do you get a job and how do you get an apartment and how do you, how do you do all these basic life skills that I was like, felt so unequipped to do because I had just like hit hit the like basically bottom and I was slowly, 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 I built it back up. And there was never like this one magic moment where it was all okay. It was just one very hard step at a time. And at that point, that was when do it scared really became like my personal mantra because I was terrified every step of the way. And I, and I couldn't help feeling this whole time that I had I had ruined my life forever. Like I was never going to give it back. And so everything was, everything felt scary and everything felt terrifying. And yet I eventually went back to school. I finished my degree. I started applying to law schools. I met, you know, the man who's now my husband and, and became a mom and had two kids and all of these things that I never could have imagined for myself because I was in that completely dark place. And, and yet realizing that it was just literally taking one step at a time. And then several years later, after I started my business, it was like the same thing all over again. Every step of the way, I was terrified. And yet every step of the way that gave me the courage to take the next step and the next step. And that's literally how I built my business and do it scared became my, the first of my company's core values. And it's been, it's been a mantra that we live by to this day. It does leave me curious leading up to that, that, that hard place in life. What were the roots of that when you look back Um, now? It was kind of a perfect storm. So I had um, a lot of childhood trauma that I had not dealt with because Mm. I kind of like stuffed it. Um, I was sexually abused by a babysitter that for four years. And it was one of those situations where, you know, abusers are very sneaky. So he told me that I, I couldn't tell and that he would kill my family and that he would burn my house down. And so I was terrified as a kid. And I, and so my reaction to that was just to repress it all. And then, um, when I was in college, my senior year of college, he died. And of course my, my 
dad knew nothing of all the abuse that had happened. And so he's like, oh, did you know so-and-so died? And and that sort of like triggered a whole, like I started having, I didn't really know what was happening. I started having all these flashbacks and I started having nightmares and I started remembering things. And it was so weird to me because I didn't know, you know, you kind of hear about that and you think, is that real? But all of this, it was happening and I didn't really know what was happening. And at the same time, I had, I had gotten married very young to a man that was, I liked okay, but I knew was not the one. And it was sort of, it felt like the answer to life and it wasn't. And, um, then we had been married for about a year and a half at that point. And it was just not a happy marriage. And we were living very separate lives. And, and so the kind of the combination of all of those things, I think really like contributed. And I was taking a lot, I was still in college. So I was taking a ton of courses and I was put a lot of pressure on myself to get straight A's and the whole thing just sort of blew up. And then I think the final straw for me actually was (laughs) that I was taking philosophy classes and religion classes at the same time. So theology and philosophy at the same time. So, which is probably not a great, I'll just say that's enough. Already depressed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I just kind of had this moment where I was struggling so much to think about or to, to, to like reconcile what had happened to me as a kid. And I just kind of, I remember like sitting in this coffee shop cause I couldn't sleep. I had really bad insomnia. So I wouldn't sleep. I lost, you know, like, like 30 pounds in a month. I was, I was just like, I was a mess and people were like, my professors and advisor were noticing, like they knew they could tell something was wrong. My husband at the time had no idea anything was wrong because we were just such like living separate lives. But, um, I remember sitting in that coffee shop and reading about like all of these conferences that had happened in the 1500s with all the, you know, the, the people deciding what these religious people deciding what they believed and all this stuff. And it just felt like so contrived to me. I remember thinking that. And then I had also been, of course, like reading existential philosophy at the same time. And I had this sort of epiphany moment where I said, well, a God, that exists would not have let those things happen to me. A God that is love would not have let those things happen to me. And I was, and I should clarify that I had grown up like being like in the church, going to church twice on Sunday, religion was the central part of my life. And so to come to that conclusion was so terrifying to go, well, if there's no God, then what's the point? And so, and then that was when I really made that decision, like, okay, well then I'm just going to kill myself because that's, that's the answer. And I think like, when I look back now, I can see that, that like, I went to a very intellectual place with it. And for a long time, that was what I hid behind. And that was probably why treatments were, (laughs) I was so treatment resistant because I was very much, I very much let my intellect be the thing that avoided the feelings. Mm -hmm. And then when that stopped working and then I, I went to self-harm and I, you know, I started cutting and burning and, and I did a lot of that. I did drinking drugs, whatever I could do to numb myself out and not feel what I was feeling. But eventually I had to, (laughs) I had to figure out how to sit with those feelings and how to just experience it and then move, move on. And that took a really long time. Well, going, well, kind of to where I started off with. And so then you start your recovery process and then that do it scared, go scared, uh, message comes to you. And as you start really digging into that and saying, I want to break this down. I want to research this at that time was your thought so that I can overcome it, you know, that, that overcoming, I'm going to eradicate it possibly, or was it 
the thought of just to understand it so I can manage it. What was your perspective early Actually, on? Actually, all the research that I did for, especially for this book, um, was really not for myself. Um, it was more of a, a response to my audience and to, you know, this community that I've built over the last nine years since starting my business. I have this community of over a million women and it, fear was a recurring theme that kept coming up. And I think I related to it so much because I've dealt with so much fear in my own life and had to work through it. And I thought that I, I thought that I had, and I, I think to some extent I have worked through a lot of fear, but I think that you know, like we said, fear can be a shapeshifter. It comes back in different forms in different ways. And so the theme that kept coming up to people, because I talk a lot about setting big goals and, and going after your dreams and how you, how you create a life you love. And that's sort of my message and where I, what I'm trying to help people do and empower people to do. But the, what would come back is I hear you talking about that, but I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I am sitting on the sidelines of my own life. I feel like I'm so afraid to jump in and, or, you know, women would say, I've spent my whole life taking care of all the people around me, raising my kids and, and taking care of other people. And now I don't know I've lost myself and I'm so afraid to find, find out who I am. And those, those responses. It was, it wasn't just one or two people. It was again and again and again. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's something here. And I started asking questions, which is a dangerous thing sometimes. And I started asking, you know, just, I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to find out what is this? What is, why do we, why do so much of us have all these fears and do, is this fear universal? Does it look the same for everyone? And more importantly, what can we do about it? Because I think that there are people out there who are overcoming fear. There are people out there who are no more special than other people. And yet they're finding ways to face their fears head on and to, to push past things. So I started asking those questions and that snowballed into this huge research study that was over 4,000 people we surveyed and um, so much data that I had to hire a whole team of researchers to help me digest it and, and work through it. But think at the end of all of that, what we discovered was pretty significant and, and really, really powerful. Well, it is. I'm going to get into that in just a second here. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Maybe from a 10,000 foot view, where does the, where do the lights go on for people or the hope start? Is it, cause I would assume a lot of people think they know that they're afraid of things, probably feel guilt for that one, but is it understanding or awareness of why they're afraid or is it more to really what you outlined in, in, in the assessment, which we'll talk about, is it just having a grasp on what type of fear it is? Uh, a little bit of everything, but I would actually push back a, a little bit because I think Please. not everybody realizes that they're afraid. We don't always call it fear. Sometimes we call it anxiety. Sometimes we call it feeling stuck. Sometimes we call it feeling overwhelmed. Sometimes we call it feeling depressed. Yeah. There are so many different names for it and the way that we experience it. And so much of our fear happens. And this is actually why it's so powerful and why it's so important. So much of our fear happens subconsciously without us realizing that it's fear or that it's a message that's coming in externally. We experience it as truth. We experience it as this is just who I am. This is just what's happening. And we don't realize that we have power over it. 
And so what happens when you can actually shine a light on it and go, oh my gosh, I never realized that this was my fear. I just thought this was the way that I was. Uh, then you suddenly have the power to do something about it. You start to see those patterns. You start to see how they're playing out in your life. And you start to realize I can change those thoughts that are happening. I can change that message. I can change the tape that's playing in the back of my head. Whereas before you didn't even know that it was playing. Yeah. So you couldn't change it. You had no power over it. And now you do. And it's, it's I kind of liken it to when you go to the doctor and you say, Hey doc, I don't feel good. And what is the doctor going to do? You could have the flu. You could have cancer. You could have a gallstone. He doesn't know. He has to run the test. He has to figure out what's wrong with you because the treatment for all those things is very different. So it's very much the same way. You have to have the diagnosis before you can find the cure. Well, and that's what I love about <laughs> how you've done the book is you've given us the awareness of where the, what kind of fear it is. And therefore then what I should do, because if we say, yeah, we're all afraid and we need to deal with that, which I think that term comes up a lot here on the show, but mm -hmm. it's just an overall generalized term. And that's a great perspective. Yeah. It'd be like going to the doctor and go, I don't know. I'm one of the, you know, 10 <laughs> sick people a day. Just give me the same thing that fixes us all. And of course that's right. impossible. You know, on that, I mean, yeah, you surveyed 4,000 women about the role fear plays in their lives. You hired a team of researchers and psychologists to help analyze the data. Just as you said, along that line, was there a point? I mean, I'm sure you always knew there's something there, but was there a point where stuff came out and you, you're kind of hit with, wow, this is significant. This is different. It, there was actually, as we started going through, we could start to see that there were these there were these distinct patterns. And I think, you know, I had started with a, with a hunch or I had started with a question of what, like, what does fear look like? And so I gave lots of choices for people of, and I think I maybe started with 20 choices and then also left like a blank, like when you experience fear, does it look like this? Or what does it look like this? And, um, it, what came out of that was so clear, these seven patterns, like every, yeah. pretty much everybody fit within these, these seven patterns or what we call the seven fear archetypes. And, and what was so interesting is with that is because I asked a lot of open-ended questions too. So I asked questions like, tell me about a time where you were afraid to, do, where you wanted to do something, you wanted to go after a goal or do something big in your life, but you let fear hold you back. What did that look like? How did you experience that? And what happened? And people would describe, I mean, tell long stories. And when we started to like really see those patterns, then the way that they play out, like it became so accurate. And I've had so many people take the assessment and go, I have taken every assessment and every personality test out there. And I've never had something nail me this closely and like, actually feel like you were reading my thoughts that happened in my head. Um, and so it was really, really interesting to see how that all played out. Cause the other question that we asked was talk about a time where you were afraid to do something, but you, and you pushed pack, past that fear. What did that look like? And how did, mm. how did you do it? And what, and, and like, what was the difference? And so you could start to see like, not only where fear was holding people back and how those patterns were playing out in a very real and concrete way, but also what people were doing to overcome those same specific fears. Okay. So fear <laughs> archetypes. Yeah. Um, you know, let me list them out real quick for people. Okay. <clears throat> um, all the people who are going to have to go get the book anyways and understand these all or, or do this, do the assessment, do the assessment for sure. Do these. Well, and I keep, I've already mentioned a couple of times, which is do it scared.com forward slash assessment. And I'm going to talk about that specifically, but you do ultimately come out with 
those seven, the procrastinator, number one, number two, the rule follower, number three, the people pleaser, number four, the outcast, number five, the self doubter, six, the excuse maker and seven, the pessimist. And I I somewhat asked this question, but I'm going to hit it more blatantly here. Do you, well, you know, my my business partner's a doc, uh, Dr. Randy James. And he says, you know, if we're talking about autism or something like that, he said multiple times, he said it on stage, you know, he said, here's autism. We're all on the spectrum. Now you may be at an infinitely, you know, I mean, hardly, but you're somewhere on the spectrum and over here on the other side, you have full tilt autism. And in between there's lots of things in that same scenario. Do you feel as your experience that everyone is within those seven to some degree? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. We're all in the spectrum. So it's each of those seven are a continuum and we all have a little bit of, of, each of them. So you, but chances are for what we found and we've had over 30,000 people take the assessment now. And so, yeah, we've had lots of data to, to dive into. We did a beta version, um, about a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now. And, and that, you know, we had, I think we had 5,000 people to do the beta version and that helped us to shape and get the final version. There's so much crazy science that goes into this kind of stuff, which I'm not like a scientist or a researcher by trade, but I've thankfully been, been blessed to be able to hire, hire some really great, really smart people to help put this all together. I kind of have the ideas for it, but then I need somebody else to, to help implement it all. And, um, so what it, where, how it works is it's all in a continuum. We all have a little bit of all seven, but there's usually one or two that are most prevalently affecting your life. So you'll score hot, like significantly higher on one, sometimes two. I've seen somebody with a lot of fear who scored high, like on the high side of the scale on like six out of the seven. I think that's the one, the, the biggest fear score that I've seen. So we give you a total score, um, where it kind of says what, this is what your overall score is, but there's usually one or two or three that are most prevalent and most strongly affecting you. And on the premium version of our assessment, we also talk, like actually dive into how those top three are affecting, are interacting and interplaying together because it's sort of like your unique combination makes up your fear fingerprint. And so you'll be able to pull out pieces of, of the different archetypes and probably relate to more than one. Okay. Well, I, as, as we started off chatting before we did this and my dad's such a big fan of you, uh, Dan Miller, and he such not a big only fan of your dad. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's so sweet. Well, I, I'm so uh, wait. So he testified to you. But he also specifically testified to the assessment, which caught my ear because I was doing personality profiles, I think at five years old. I mean, he was always bringing home the next, <laughs> you know, Dale Carnegie or disc profile or myers Briggs. I mean, and he would test them out on us. <clears throat> Back then it was my mom and me. That was it. And so I've done so many of them and I've kind of gotten tired and I can, I can kind of game them. I have a hard time answering them honestly. But you did this. It's not a personality profile. You, you took the, the concept and took it specifically to fear. So I took it. So I admission, I do my research kind of not, not last minute, but I do it to where it's fresh on my mind. So when I come here, I've just gone through everything. So I just yeah. did the assessment yesterday, <clears throat> immediately sent it to my family. And, uh, and after today and digging in more, I'm going to insist as much as I can that they all do it because I, I, I want to say it, it blew me away in like an all positive sense. It bothered me. Um, it, that is as well. It should. Okay. Okay. Wait, it, <laughs> it, 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 well, so here, so I'll be, so folks, you do the assessment. It takes about, 
I got interrupted on mine. I think I spent you know ten minutes or something. I went through it pretty quickly. It's not hard to to answer. Forty nine questions. It's very 49, easy. okay. Yeah. And I did it. I got it back. And so I'll, I'll see your thoughts. I a sixty three percent match on the Outcast. Oh. <clears throat> Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine too. You're in good company. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So this is what I have found. People will respond and you can tell me if this is true. People will say that we get usually one or two responses. There's either like people who go, Oh my gosh, yes, this is exactly me. Or people go, I feel kind of judged and I'm not sure I like this. Okay. Well, <laughs> but then they'll, when you push a little harder, like, but as I was reading through the description, now I can see how that's playing out for me. Well, it, it did. No, I feel like it, it totally nailed me, but some of the aspects in there, I have not had in my radar. And really? Uh-uh. Like what? Well, here, now we're, we're going to get, <laughs> we're going to get vulnerable here. Well, that's one of them. I don't like being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So we got that up front. Um, the, some of them that nailed me, uh, you often pass up meaningful personal relationships. I mean, I'm an introvert and I will go just, I'd rather go be by myself a lot and I won't invest. Um, you sometimes miss opportunities to foster valuable connections. Absolutely. Um, you occasionally forfeit chances to collaborate at my, my wife would be sitting here nodding emphatically, uh, <laughs> to all of those, but I mean, I can keep going down through here. I mean, yes. Who is the outcast? You come across as fearless and unstoppable, but it's probably just a veneer. I didn't like that statement. Um, because I am happy to come across as fearless and unstoppable. Is it just a veneer? I, I don't want to be that vulnerable here, so we'll keep going. Uh, the the fear, the fear of, this is the one that got me. The fear of rejection lives beneath all that armor. You're afraid to trust others. The afraid to trust others. Um, I've been hit with before, by others that I don't, that I trust myself and I don't delegate and and I have control issues, but the fear of rejection is the one that stuck on me. Um, that I will reject, you know, according to the definition here that I'm prone to reject others before they reject me. I don't like hearing that. It's not, that's not been at the forefront. I've I've never, I've never considered that, that, as, I don't as, like as what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because how you probably consider it in your own mind is like, well, I'm just an, I'm just an individualist. I'm an introvert. I don't need a lot of people around me. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, that's what I'm saying about fear and how it happens subconsciously. Like we experience it as so much of our truth and just the way that we are. We don't really see it as a fear, a fear necessarily. And sometimes we don't even see it as problematic. So we don't know that it might be the thing that's holding us back in our business because think about, you know, or life, not just business, it could be your life or your business, but think about how many times you've, you've foregone meaningful connections Mm -hmm. or you haven't reached out for help or that what, what things have you missed out on because you were, you know, harboring this, this fear of rejection that you didn't even know you had because it was happening subconsciously. And my wife is exact opposite, man. If there's something vulnerable and intimate with people, she is in, uh, right off the bat. And I am the opposite. I have become more aware even lately of the things that I do in intimate relationships, my marriage as, as a, a key, key one that I am doing for self-protection. You have one of them. Let me actually, let me back up here. It's the, you have the people pleaser. Yeah. Do you want me to, do you want me to run through each of them and talk about what the underlying fear is for each one? I do. Cause the, cause the people pleaser, I have been saying that about myself for a while. And it was just recently that my wife 
question that. She says, honey, I don't see you as a people pleaser. And we really kind of broke that down and said, no, I self protect sometimes, but it's not really a desire to please people. I just don't want the conflict and whatever that's different. And yes. so, so I, yes, I do, because I'll admit I got so enamored with my own stuff. I didn't go in and research every one of these pieces. So yeah, yeah so give us, I'll... give us a note. Well, let me tell people, obviously the book, you define that. So I've been mm -hmm. studying the book. Now the assessment, if you go in and do the assessment, you get the initial results and then you do, I, I actually I forgot. What do you do to get the premium? To get, so we have a premium version of the assessment. It's $15 to upgrade okay. to the premium assessment. Although right now um, we have a, it, it as a book bonus. So if you purchase the book, you can purchase it anywhere. Just take your receipt number and go to our website and fill out. There's a form that okay. says for your book bonuses and you can get that. And then you can use that code that will send you a, a one-time code that you can use to get the premium assessment. Well, so and I love that because now I can, better deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a better deal. Well, and I can, and I can share it. So I'm going to take mine. I, I got the premium. I did the, the initial one yesterday. Today I got the premium uh, results and I'm going to share it with my family, uh, because I, I want them to, Hey, this is it's such I, a great relationship tool. It yeah. really is because it gives you so much more understanding and empathy for the people in your life and how, it, because it like so many of them. And I've, I've heard this from a lot of people, even as they read the book and read through these different descriptions, cause I sort of give a little story about each of the seven archetypes. And there's a person that represents that archetype oh, yeah. and people go, Oh my gosh, that, I know exactly somebody just like this, right? No, I know somebody who's a self doubter. I know somebody who's a pessimist. I think you start to see those people in your life, but it gives you so much more empathy when mm -hmm. you realize that what's happening might not be them being a jerk. It might be coming from a place of fear, which makes them a lot more. Oh, the story was great. I, I am Vivian. Uh, Are so, you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I want my, I want my wife to read it. Well, I want my wife, but my older kids right now, especially I want, I found myself, gosh, I want to know what is yeah. my business partner. And I thought, and I thought, gosh, I'm, I'm my staff. I mean, we all talk about that with a personality profile, you know, disc, are they high D I S C whatever, but yeah. here, where is there, if we all are on the spectrum of fear, where is theirs? Where does it germinate from? How to, what an incredible thing to know. again about everybody. I'm really interested of course, with my wife and my older kids. I, I, I haven't known this about myself so much. So to know that, so yes, please though. Yeah. Run through yeah. them. And I'm, I'm going to sit here and take notes. Uh, I, I will say okay. like, it has really even like doing this work myself over the last, last year and a half or two years. I've, I'm also an outcast and I never realized because I, I kind of thought that I had done the work of overcoming fear in my life. And and then I started doing this work and I saw so clearly how that outcast nature of mine has held me back in my business specifically of, you know, being afraid to trust my team and being afraid to trust people and never wanting to reach out and ask for help. Even from people I considered friends, I would always be like, no, I can do it myself. And I don't need, I don't need other people to promote me. I can do it from, I can do it myself. And I'm not going to ask for anything ever from anyone. And that has really, it's, it's been really, really interesting over the last year to work past that because now I see it happening and it gives me the, it just gives me the courage and the confidence to say, okay, I feel like this is I'm being rejected right now, but I'm, I'm really not. And interestingly enough, my husband is also an outcast. And so oh, wow. it's changed our relationship a lot because I think that we were, there were parts of our relationship where we were both really sensitive and not realizing that about the other person of how we were experiencing things. And it has been, I will say our marriage has never been 
stronger since we've started doing like under having that understanding of each other and our outcastness plays out in a little bit different ways, but it's funny because we can point it out at each other yeah. so much now and it really does. It really does help. Okay. Well, so yeah, go, go through there and give us a snapshot of each one. I'm curious again, as I think about the people close to me, uh, what things will resonate and uh, get a, get an idea. Of, oh, I bet that's them. Yeah. So, okay. The first one is the procrastinator and the procrastinator is really just another word for perfectionist. So Mm -hmm. I, and the, and the reason I, it's the procrastinator and not the perfectionist is because people sometimes take the perfectionist term as like a source of pride and don't realize that it's actually often the source of what's holding you back in life, Mm -hmm. this need for perfection, because really the underlying fear there is the fear of making a mistake. And that terrifies the procrastinator slash perfectionist so much so that they will be afraid to commit to things. They will be afraid of moving forward. They suffer from analysis paralysis, or Mm -hmm. there's this over planning and over organization that happens where everything, you know, they're constantly doing the research and they're constantly trying to figure everything out and and wanting everything to be ready, but they'll be even tweaking things up until the last minute. So that's the procrastinator. The underlying fear is the fear of making a mistake. The next one, and that's actually the most common. So I'm going to go through them in order of I was going to ask that if you (laughs) you look across the culture, where do the majority of people tend to fall in. So you, you, are they, you're saying you have those listed in order? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're listed in order. So the procrastinator is the, is the most common. I think, wow. I think it's about 35% of the population, um, is, has procrastinator as their top, as their top archetype. It was wow. where are the percentages that I do share the percentages in the book, but they're okay. based on our beta assessment. And we're noticing now that we have the full assessment out that the percentages are a little bit off. They're still in the right order, but they're just, um, they're not quite as spread. Like the procrastinator on the original assessment that was like 45% of the population. And now it's less than that. Um, the next one is the rule follower. So the rule follower, the underlying fear there is sort of this unhealthy fear of authority. And Hmm. we all know probably the rule follower because the rule follower is the person who always reads the instruction manual from start to finish and always knows that things are supposed to be a certain way. And it almost has this sense that someone out there is going to crack down on you or get in trouble if you don't follow the regulations and you don't dot your I's and cross your T's and do everything exactly the way it's supposed to be done all the time. But where that can hold you back is when you get so concerned with doing things the right way, even if there's not actually a right way that you almost feel like paralyzed again with, with the inability to move forward because you don't know if you're, if you're going to get going to get in trouble or you're going to do it wrong. Um, but on the flip side for the rule follower, um, what I have found is that the rule follower can actually really excel in very structured situations. So if, for instance, if you are an entrepreneur or you're thinking about starting a business or there's something new that you want to do in your life that you want to try for the rule follower, finding a coach or a mentor or a program to follow and will be, can be like amazing thing. Rule followers, I have a program. So, and I find that the rule followers are my best students because they do everything exactly the way that they're supposed to do it. And they really, so you can find, and, and I think I should, I should mention that about each of these archetypes, kind of like we were saying before, they all have pluses and minuses. They all have good qualities that are helping us. And they also have qualities that are hindering us or holding us back. 
So part of learning how to manage your fear archetype is to know how to harness the power of the good qualities while mitigating the, the things that are, that are hurting you. Well, and, I, and I should have mentioned that because I started off and I read a little bit of mine. I read kind yeah. of the negative, but yeah, I do appreciate that you had, I think mine had like, you know, ultimately you listed three negatives and three or four positives as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't all, it's not all just Debbie Downer stuff, folks. No, it's not just Debbie Downer. And so the next one is the people pleaser. Um, and people pleaser, the positive aspect of the people pleaser is that they are usually great people to be around. They're super positive. They're super caring. They like are always concerned about, you know, everybody else's feelings, but that's also the negative can be the negative side because people pleasers can be overly concerned about what other people think. It's a fear of being judged, a fear of like being laughed at or being mocked. There's this, that is the underlying fear. So if you want to think about the difference between a procrastinator and a people pleaser, a procrastinator is afraid of making a mistake. And that is the thing that would panic them is the idea that they might screw it up or fail or make a mistake. Whereas the people pleaser doesn't want to make the mistake, but not because they're afraid of the mistake itself, but afraid of what people would think about them if they made the mistake. And the difference between the people pleaser and the outcast, and this is a really, and you can be, you know, you can have a little bit of both those, but where the people pleaser is afraid of what other people think, that outcast is generally not afraid of what other people think of them. It's more, but for the outcast, it's an actual fear of being rejected by the other person. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's not the same as being afraid of what people are saying or what people are thinking about you. You don't care what they think of you as long as they don't reject you, I guess is where it comes down to. Hey, I'm, I am, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm 48 and I'm not lacking for having dug into myself, but Ruth, I've not, I've not, um, had that clarified in me. And that's, I, I, it's true. I, I mean, I'm sure it's true. I, I'm gonna have to unpack it. I'm gonna have to unpack it. Yeah. And I want to talk to my, my wife, especially, uh, about that because yeah, I just, I've never looked at it in that way. And I would have otherwise said, no, I don't fear being rejected. Cause yeah, it's not that I have this huge concern, what other people think about me, yeah. but I'm looking now at my actions and my self-protection and thought, well, heck that lines up pretty darn directly. Okay. It's a little scary, isn't it? It's a little scary. Ironically, ironically, it's scary. So the we've talked a lot about the outcast. I won't go too deep into that okay. one. The underlying fear there is rejection. Yep. Then the next one is the self-doubter. And the self-doubter, the underlying fear there is the fear of not being capable or the fear of not being enough. So the self-doubter, more than any of the other archetypes, suffers with a lot, from a lot of um, just self-esteem issues or not feeling, not feeling like they're good enough, not like, who am I to do something like that? They're the ones that have probably the most negative self-talk that's happening inside their head and they're hypercritical of themselves, but the way that often plays out for the self-doubter also, and you may know somebody like this in your life, um, but they're hypercritical of other people as well. So especially the people close to them. So they're, they're the the person that you know that's just constantly nitpicking everybody. Oh my gosh, can you believe why why are you wearing that? Or that, you know, like and a lot of times that comes from a place of like deep insecurity with themselves, but it they project it onto other people as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the self-doubters, that's one where I like one of the archetypes where I highly recommend if you're really struggling with a lot of that 
just internal work. There's some like stuff that needs to come out there where I, I recommend a therapist or a, a life coach or something like this. There might be enough fear there that you can't necessarily go like get through it all on your own. And having somebody to give you that pers- a different perspective yeah. um, is really, really important. Wow. Okay. Next one I see. The, <laughs> the next one maker. is the excuse maker. And for the excuse maker, the underlying fear is the fear of being blamed or the fear of being held accountable. So I like to say the excuse maker is is the friend that will never pick the restaurant if you're going out with a group of friends because they don't want to be the one that gets blamed if the restaurant's not good. Right, right, right. But they have really, they have a really hard time getting pinned down. So there's sort of that a little bit slippery almost. They just always seem to have a reason or an excuse and they're masterful um, they're masterful at making those excuses not sound like excuses where they sound totally legitimate. They can rationalize anything and everything, and you can never quite seem to like get them to just own it. Um, and that can be, that can really be something that holds you back, um, in life. If you're constantly making excuses, because when you own and take responsibility for yourself and for your life, that's when you have the power to make the changes. That's when you have the power to really go after, to go after things, to become a leader, to, to do everything that you want to do. It's pretty much the most empowering thing that you can do in your life. And so if you're never, if you're never willing to be the one that's on the hook, um, it can really be almost like a crippling, a crippling thing. Goodness. Yeah. And I think my family would all say, yeah, that's, that's picking out a movie at our house. Nobody, oh, nobody yeah. wants to do it. You know, <laughs> we just committed two hours to that. Come on guys. Yeah. So yeah, there's a little bit of excuse making that probably goes on in that. They'll, they'll, <laughs> res- that they'll resonate with that one. Oh, I see the last one here is the pessimist. The pessimist. Yeah. And the pessimist is, is of, out of all of them. It's one that is, is based in often a lot of either trauma or hardship. It's somebody who has experienced hard and difficult things in their life. A lot of adversity, maybe financial hardship, but it's gotten them to a place of almost being stuck feeling like, because the fear there, the underlying fear is a fear of adversity or of a fear of pain. And so it's, it's this, I don't, why should I even bother? Because I'm just going to get hurt again. Almost this place of resigning themselves to a a life of doom and gloom, Hmm. um, which is why it's called the pessimist. So that's, again, like you can see where that would be holding you back if you're not taking, because we all have bad things. Ultimately, we all have bad things that happen to us in life. So you have to look at at life as an opportunity to grow and learn and change. And, but if you're allowing those bad circumstances to keep you stuck, then you're never going to get there. Well, and as I look at this, we're back to where we started on the spectrum because there's pieces of each one of these that I think mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a little bit of each one of these, Yes. Um, which, and, you know, and, and now mine came back again, 63% on the outcast. I, did I miss it? Did, does it show any secondary stuff or do you not get that? Granular? Yeah. So the full report, did you, um, do, did you get your full report? I did. I didn't, maybe I didn't look at it that closely yet. Yeah. You'd have to click on that link. Cause we, I think we send a separate email for the full assessment. You, so if you, did. you look at that one and then you scroll down, it'll give you your secondary and your third one and then how those ones interact together. And then if you go all the way down to the bottom of the assessment, it actually shows you your score on all seven of them. Okay. I'm I'm pulling it up as we talk here, (laughs) uh, but I won't make us wait on, 
on that. I mean, this is again, really significant. And, well, folks, I want you to hear, and maybe it's in the, you tell me it's, I'm sure it's in the assessment, but I know it's in the book that it's not just saying, okay, he, here we are, we pegged you and there you go, go, you know, do what you will with it. I mean, then there's right. also the, okay, how do I deal with that? Uh, or, or you yeah. said strategies to overcome this fear. So you have that after everyone, she has strategies to overcome this fear. And that's where I love again. Yeah. How you granularly do this. It's not just an overall fear topic. It's saying, no, according to yours, Kevin, this is where you are. These are the things that you need to deal with because my wife or my kid or, or whoever over here who has a different arena are going to have different things to do. That is actionable. Uh, well, so I, we got I can't say that without going on after this segment of the book or of the message, you get into courage, uh, step yes. two and step uh, three, then taking action uh, on that courage too. I mean, this is yes. about a, uh, what, I don't know how to say it different. It's, it's an actionable thing, folks. This isn't just a message to say, okay, now you've been labeled. Yeah. That's just the first part. Okay. Cause it's, it's really, and it's essential first part because you can't, again, you can't have the diagnosis without the cure, but if you don't have the diagnosis, then or the, if you don't have the cure, then what's the point? Who cares right. if you're, if you diagnose yourself? Right. So the cure, then I, I go through that in the book. The first thing is really about changing, changing your thoughts, because if all of these thoughts have been happening subconsciously up until this point, you have to learn how to replace those with something. And I, what I recommend is forming a new set of core beliefs or core values, because these beliefs that have been happening inside you need to need to be replaced with something. I call those the principles of courage and I go through there's seven principles of courage. But then from there, you really need to take action because action is the antidote to fear. And sometimes we could talk about taking action, but it doesn't feel concrete or clear what you're supposed to do. And I actually walk you through, okay, do this first and then do this and then do this, which is really about like figuring out how to claim your target and get in touch with your why, and then break down that big goal or that big target into more manageable bites and connecting those big goals to your daily action. And, and I show you, I walk you through exactly how to do that. Well, so let me ask you then about courage. Well, you know what? I'll come back there. Cause now I, I snuck, <laughs> I snuck a peek at my graph. Holy moly. Okay. No, I, I had What's not seen it, Ruth. And it, yeah, no, it says exactly what I talked about being on the spectrum. You just showed me my spectrum. I didn't, I didn't scroll down far enough. Outcast 63% people pleaser 51 Ah, there you go. You were right though. That was your second. I was procrastinator 40, uh, okay. rule follower 37, excuse maker 34, pessimist 34, self-doubter 20. So then I come to the, or it was above that overall impact, your overall degree of fear. And I am past the midway mark. I'm, I'm over into the orange pink. I don't know where it is. Are um, you all the way? Does it say high or medium? Medium. Yeah. That's what I would have figured if your top one is 63%, that's probably, and that, I mean, I'm guessing you've done a lot of self-development and a lot of self-work, um, over the years, not so enough, probably, obviously, but yes, we have people, I've seen people score like 90% in multiple categories wow. okay. and yeah, then, you know, that fear is really, and they'll say, they'll come out. We have a community around specifically around, um, do it scared. That's called doing it scared. And, um, it is, and it's really interesting to see what people are saying and how they're re relating to their yeah. archetypes and how, again, how accurate they are. And when they share their results, they'll say, if they're off the charts, like I, that I knew I was fearful in all these different areas of my life. Like fear has been such a real part of my life mm -hmm. and where there are other people who will score more kind of in your range, who it's more of a, 
I didn't realize that fear was holding me back as much as it was. And so it's, it's, it's been really interesting. And I haven't seen anyone score. I, well, I have one friend out of 30,000 people. I have one friend who I did see, she was like in the 30% for all of them. Like wow. she's pretty low. She's pretty fearless. Okay. Well, but. I'm just glad that I'm, I'm here as a testimonial, as a poster child of I'm obviously here doing the podcast scared. So we can, we can all say that, but you know, the point is, yeah, where is it holding me back? And it absolutely is primarily, I would say relate well relationships, but no, as you said, in saying yourself, it's in my business. I know those areas where yeah, I don't tend to trust others. I really struggle to yeah. delegate. I got hit with this recently with Michael Hyatt, as we talked about his uh, his new book, um, gosh, free to focus. And that's one of the main things. That's where it hit me is what are you going to cut? What am I going to, let's see, what was it? Automate, delegate, or eliminate. I'm okay with eliminating. Yes. Automating is okay too, but the delegating, holy smokes. It's it, it, hard. It is. It's the bane of my existence. Uh, I would say from a business standpoint. So, okay. I, I, I don't want to <laughs> miss, I don't want to miss courage here because as you talk about that, I would say just as much as we have fear as this generally this overarching term until you, um, that same thing with courage. It's so often to me just gets kind of bandied around with, you know, brave and even fearless maybe, uh, with mm-hmm. courage that I, I want you to define it as it relates to fear so that we understand it. Well, the way that I define courage is really that it doesn't mean that we're fearless or that we're never afraid or that we don't experience fear. It's not the absence of fear. It is taking action in the face of fear, which is a very different thing. Literally, I mean, that's the message of do it scared. It doesn't mean that fe- that fear doesn't exist. It means that you're finding your the courage to take that step, even when you feel terrified of it, even when it feels like the hardest thing that you could possibly do. And if you can take that tiny little step, courage is really like a muscle. So the more you exercise it and the more you practice it and then every, every step you take gives you a little bit more courage Mm -hmm. that gives you the ability to take a bigger step next time. And when I talk about, you know, first, when I shared my depression story and overcoming depression, that was exactly what I did. One tiny little step gave me the courage to take the next step. But then as I started my business and as an entrepreneur for the last nine years, that's been my story all along the way. I mean, when I started, everything felt terrifying. And then I, you know, slowly learned little things. And the business that I have now, this seven-figure company with 15 employees and and doing writing books and traveling around the world, like I could have never imagined that any of that would have been possible when I started nine years ago. Like that did not even factor in. And yet here I am doing things that I would have never, ever dared to do nine years ago. And it's because I've taken one tiny little step at a time. Well, this book, do I have it right here? I actually just pulled you up on Amazon. This just came out May 21. Now folks aren't going to hear this for, for a little while. We're not publishing right away, but as of today that we're recording this June 4th. So the book's been out 13 days or available on Amazon. Um, It's sitting at 589 overall. So Good That's on, amazing. good on you. Yeah. Number. Yeah. Of, just made the, the, um, wall street journal bestseller list. That, no, not the wall street journal, the USA today. 
There oh, we beautiful. Go. Beautiful. Well, <laughs> so obviously that speaks a lot. Now I know you've been doing this. You've had the assessment, 30,000 people, but as the book is hitting and I assume you're doing tons of other interviews as well. Oh, and I also got a point as I scroll down, I see, oh, there's a picture of my dad and Michael Hyatt who both gave testimonies of the book. I, I, I missed that as well. So um, two, like two of my favorite people, both seriously, your dad, I don't know if you know this, I, he probably is too humble to tell you this, but your dad, like changed my life and changed my business. Like I owe him everything, the, such a debt of gratitude. So I, I am like so excited that I get to talk to you because I just, uh, I feel such a connection to him. He's so, okay. That's great. So, so amazing. And, and for disclosure, she did not know that we were connected before about <laughs> I did not. 45 minutes ago, uh, which is great. I appreciate that too. Uh, well, congratulations, my gosh, on, on the book as it has, is hitting uh, the bookshelves and people are reading it. Are you, I mean, I'm sure you're hearing just loads of confirmation, of course, co confirmation, testimonial, anything that has uh, surprised you good, good or bad, but you know, probably good surprise you like that somebody's gotten out of it or something you didn't expect or, or gosh, or, or just again, a good confirmation of, wow, this is, I think I've just been, been surprised. I think, I think first of all, like it's ironic everything that I was writing a book on fear, because I think that I've I've never been more terrified than putting this book out into the world, you know, wow. not, not only because I share like pretty vulnerably my own pieces of my own story that I've never shared before, which is always scary, but also, you know, we did all this research and, and effort and, 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 you know, investment of time and money into putting it out there. And I had this like fear of, oh my gosh, what if people are like, this is crap and what are you talking about and this is not this is not accurate at all and and to see actually like the impact that it has had since it's come out and to see how people are like how it's almost like an instant realization that of the things that they never knew about themselves but it's also an instant empowerment of going all this time I thought there was something wrong with me and now I see that there's something I can do about it and yeah. so just to see the impact that it's had, even in this short amount of time of, of people that are, I mean, every day I've been getting instant messages and emails from people who are like doing crazy things, like going back to school and starting businesses and, and leaving abusive relationships. And I mean, it's like every day it's really crazy stuff. And, and uh, I mean, amazingly crazy stuff. And I think that that it's just, it's very humbling, um, to put, like to put your heart and soul into something and then, and then watch the results and watch something happen. That's bigger. That's bigger than yourself. Really. I mean, and, and I know I never circled back around to the religion part of it, but I do want to say like, I, you know, I eventually found God again after, after kind of going so far away during, during my, um, journey with depression. And that for me as a Christian now, and as, you know, somebody who feels like, lucky to be alive that, that I could have, that I'm, I feel like I'm, I here for this. I'm here. I'm still here. I didn't die that day because there was something else out there that I was supposed to do and supposed to share. And I feel like this is it. And it's just humbling to, to see that happen. And, and I feel like God is so good to, to allow me to be the person to bring this here. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's that. Thank you. I'm grateful that you are doing it scared. Um, so that we can benefit 
from this. And yeah, what you just said, as far as testimonials, people, that's what I saw right off the bat. One is awareness. One of my favorite words. Uh, we just started a podcast production company with that term aware broadcasting. Cause to me, awareness is the first step, but obviously it's only as good as the action that you take. And the fact that you give focus to that, but that's people's testimonies. The assessment, I, I do have to say that Ruth, I, I'm dramatically impressed with the message, but the assessment, cause again, I've done so many of them and I don't know how many I could say I was really able to take some new action as a result of it. It's, I think it's, it's brilliant. It's insightful. I'm grateful for it. I'm going to be sharing it. I'm most excited to share it with my family though. I'm going to share it with a gazillion people through the podcast. That's the point of having you here as, as well, but I'm just grateful that you have done the work to bring this to us. And I'm grateful for your time to share it with us Thank today. You. It's a true Thank gift. Thank you so much for having me. It's just, it's such an honor. And even knowing who your dad is, it's even bigger honor. And I just, I'm very, very grateful. Well, you just paid him back just so you know. Right <laughs> All right, Ruth, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Okay, friends, I am certain that you got your eyes opened by this show, to say the least. This is not a one-time message to hear and be wowed by. This is a revelation to grasp onto and better go about your life with more freedom and hope. Again, strongly encourage you go to doitscared.com slash assessment and take your own assessment. Doitscared.com slash assessment. Let Ruth know you got value from this show and leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and tell people about this specific show and Ruth. It's the best way to thank her and Ziggler. Coming up next in show 692, we have our Q&A show and we asked the Ziggler audience, does your work fit you? This just continues to be one of the most important questions to ask ourselves. Does my work align with who I am? Yet in our culture today, it's a question so many of us never ask or expect. Work is seen as a necessary evil to provide a paycheck that affords us our lives. And while many view working at something they actually enjoy and care about and believe in as a luxury, having those attributes in your work is proven to not only provide personal fulfillment, but greater earning potential bottom line. So in show 687, I talked with Laura Gossner Odding about her concept of consonance and the power of alignment in all we do. From that show, I posted this question to the Ziegler audience. Does your work align with who you are? The responses, of course, varied from absolutely and to not at all. And the frustrations from that. And to talk through the comments, I brought Laura back on the show to give her expert insight and counsel. These are real stories giving real value. And Laura's insight was just incredible. Well, folks, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music>